if you're prepared to risk your life, it shows how strong the gospel is and that obviously has an impact on those around you. So people think, well, if you're prepared to risk your life for this, it must be worth looking at. Across the world today, millions of Christians are persecuted. They face discrimination, imprisonment, displacement and even death simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. These courageous believers are our brothers and sisters. We are in this together with them and we need to hear their voice. Join host Sarah as we discover their stories today on Release International's Voice podcast. At the start of each year, Release International publishes a Persecution Trends article in our Voice magazine. In that article, we look at how and where persecution is likely to affect Christians across the world over the following 12 months. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Release's Head of Communications, Tom Hardy. We'll be discussing that article for this year and thinking about what life is going to be like for our Christian brothers and sisters in 2020. Tom, you've been working for Release for some time, uh, leading our communications team. And part of what you do is oversee the Persecution Trends article that we produce for The Voice magazine at the beginning of each year. Why is it that we produce that, uh, that article and where do we get our information from? Well, our information comes from uh, partners who are actually living on the ground in countries around the world. They've usually been partners for a few years, so they're very trusted. We know them, we visit them, and uh, we can rely on their information. Why we produce this report every year, I think it's important because um, it provides a much bigger picture of global persecution. And um, it's almost like the partners, each partner is providing us with a piece of the jigsaw puzzle. And if you try to uh, work out what a picture is from one piece of a puzzle, it's very difficult. But then if you're getting a number of jigsaw pieces from around the world, then you can put them together and you see a bigger picture. And sometimes that picture is actually not what you expected. Um, I suppose if you gave a, a, an analogy, maybe would be climate change, that if you saw, uh, if we looked at, say, just flooding in Bangladesh, we would think there's a problem of flooding in Bangladesh and we would try to, to put in flood prevention measures there, but we, would, um, we wouldn't be aware that there's a wider problem of climate change that needs to be tackled by the whole world. So in a way, it's a similar sort of thing. Um, it provides us with a, a much clearer view of, of um, what is happening to the church around the world. Where do you think that we might see improvements for Christians in 2020? Or where do you think we might see deterioration as a sort of bird's eye view for the moment? I think in, in terms of improvement, sadly, I think there's, there's very little. Um, and, I mean, it's always nice when something happens, but then you tend to notice it because it is so unusual. But generally, um, it seems like the, globally, um, the situation for Christians is deteriorating in terms of persecution, that actually it's becoming harder and harder. But having said that, um, you know, I think we need to look at how is, how is the gospel spreading? And actually, if the gospel is spreading and more and more people are coming to faith through the persecution, then actually um, it's a different picture. And I don't think it's a negative picture, it's a positive picture. So if we zoom in a little bit, um, the first country that appears in the magazine is Nigeria. Could you tell us what is it like for Christians living in Nigeria at the moment and what can they expect 
in 2020? A lot depends on which part of Nigeria you live in. If you live in the south, then probably the situation isn't going to change. If you live in the middle of Nigeria, the central belt, or in northern Nigeria, last year uh, the, saw a number of attacks from um, Boko Haram and um, uh, Islamist Fulani militias, and, uh, um, and also a number of kidnappings as well. And uh, so there isn't anything that would make us think this is not going to continue this year. Um, in fact, it's probably going to worsen. Um, that the government is trying to show that it is taking action, that it's that it's beaten Boko Haram, but uh, the reality is it hasn't, and uh, it's doing very little to actually support the Christian community. And um, so, unless there is a change in the government or a um, a resolution to try and, and really take seriously protection of Christian communities, uh, they, they are facing a very bleak future and our partners fear uh, that, you know, this is, this is a sort of genocide almost, um, you know, that uh, Christians are, uh, that they, the agenda, the Islamist agenda is to wipe out Christianity. From, from northern Nigeria. So, so that is what Boko Haram you think is aiming to do, that's completely what they, eradicate the Christian community? There is, there, yes, I think, I think it is. And, and whether the Fulani are employed by Boko Haram to actually um, to make that happen or, or whether they're actually working to their own agenda in terms of taking over land, um, you probably can't say for certain, but um, the, the effect is the same, that Christians are being forced out of their communities, they're being killed, massacred, um, and, and, and then the survivors forced into camps. They're escaping to other parts of Nigeria, to the south, or are they coming to the west? I think not so much the south even, but just moving further south. Mm. So from those who are in northeastern Nigeria, say Borno State or whatever, mm. they'll move down into Plateau State to Jos, and right, okay. where there are sort of secure camps uh, for Christians. So that's more that's more the trend. Are there any signs of hope in Nigeria? There are signs of hope, I suppose, in the fact that there are very committed pastors and evangelists who are staying in the area and who are actually going out and who whose um, plan is, is to actually evangelise Boko Haram oh, and wow. Fulani. So um, that is the positive. And that's, you know, I mean, you, you can't but admire their courage and bravery. Wow, and, um, that's incredible. So that is encouraging, yeah. Yeah. Um, the article, the Persecution Trends article, moves from Africa to Asia, and China has grabbed the headlines a lot for its religious freedom violations. Could you um, tell us more about that? It seems to be a country where things are getting progressively worse for Christians. I think since uh, February 2018, when uh, religion law was introduced in China, um, we've seen a, a, a regular large-scale repression start against the church. And I mean, our partners are saying it's the worst that it's been since the Cultural Revolution. So that will give you some idea of the, of the context. Um, so, yes, if you're if you're um, in church now, you are probably going to be under surveillance. Churches have seen their buildings torn down, crosses removed, pastors arrested, and then their lawyers who represent them disappear. 
um, that, and it's not getting any easier. We've we've all seen the news reports about the Uyghurs in Xinjiang province who have been uh, put into camps and sort of brainwashing camps, and uh, and there are Christians among them. There are Christian Uyghurs, so they are, they are undergoing that as well. Um, so um, we don't we don't want to forget that. And I think it's all about control. It's about Sinicization, which is trying to make China more Chinese, and so um, the churches are allowed to operate in context, but the church has to be subservient to the state. So, as long as you have a poster of uh, President Xi up in at the front of the altar, you can have a picture of Jesus right at the back of the church that's a lot smaller, um, and that's if your church is allowed to carry on. But, but at the moment, um, and it looks like it's going to carry on like this, um, uh, anyone under 18 is not allowed to go to church. So, so young people aren't, aren't getting to hear about what, the faith. What are the consequences if someone under 18 goes to church or professes a faith? Uh, well, they're not allowed to go. And of course, they're all under surveillance. So it's very likely that they'd be caught and then the family would be arrested, questioned. Um, if they if you know they they might be released with a warning but they might end up in prison um so I mean, it's having a huge effect on families i imagine if you can't even bring up your children to know jesus in an overt way or bring them to church yes that's right um uh, under 18s aren't allowed to receive religious education so since 2018 these uh, religious restrictions were imposed it's just been getting progressively worse and you think it's going to go from bad to worse in 2020. Is that how you see it? I, I can't see it improving because the president is our president for life, and he's obviously is he emperor now. I heard. I think I think he's <laughs> referred to as as emperor Xi, but I think I don't think he's actually an emperor. Although I think you know maybe he's maybe that's the way he views China. Can you tell us more about the surveillance state? I've heard China likened to Jeremy Bentham's Panopticum or. Um, George Orwell's Big Brother state where you get one camera for every two people and face recognition technology which can spy on pastors. And uh, even I heard about a technology that can identify someone based on the way they walk now in China. So I think part of what's happening in um, Hong Kong is probably a reaction as well to what's happening on the mainland. If communities are under such surveillance, you talk about gate recognition, sensors and cameras um, you can see why people are reacting against that and are, af are afraid of that happening uh, but uh, but again in we, we have to look at the fact that uh, well our partners estimate that by 2030 um, you know there could be 224 million Christians in China so it is growing massively mm. and you could say well is it because of the persecution or is it through the persecution or in spite of? In spite of, yes, maybe a combination of all three, really. Um, what, what's your opinion of, for this apparent contradiction? When the church is persecuted, it seems to be growing at a staggering rate. Well, possibly you have to be real about your faith. And if you are, um, then you're willing to, um, to take it seriously. And to put your life on the line if you're just a nominal believer or however you want to define that then i think it's easy to walk away 
But then if you're prepared to risk your life, it shows how strong the gospel is. And that obviously has an impact on those around you. Mm. Um, so people think, well, if you're prepared to risk your life for this, it must be worth looking at. Today I'm talking to Release's Head of Communications, Tom Hardy, about how and where persecution is likely to affect Christians in 2020. We've just heard about the devastating scale of attacks in Nigeria and the large-scale repression of Christians in China, but also about the incredible courage of Christians who continue to live and trust in the power of the gospel. As the conversation continues, we talk about what the future might hold for Iran. So the article, the Persecution Trends article, moves from Asia to giving an overview of the Middle East. And there's a lot of countries we could pick up on, Iraq, Egypt and so on. But um, can I ask you about Iran? It seems quite similar to China in that it's undergone sustained persecution over four decades and yet the church seems to be growing. What do you think uh, this growing church will face in 2020? Uh, as you say, uh, you know, Christians, uh, and especially we're talking about converts in Iran, people who convert from Islam to Christianity, has always been difficult. And uh, it's, if, if the, the current situation politically and economically continues, then they will face the same kind of persecution. But what our partners think may well happen is that um, Iran will suffer a uh, a major crisis at some point. Now, whether that's this year or whether it's at an, later on, we don't know. Do you mean civil war or internal unrest? or? Well, it would be one of those, yeah. Um, either um, sort of societal meltdown or political change or, or, um, or yeah, internal unrest, civil war even. But there'll be some kind of crisis. And when that happens... Um, it's likely that, that Christians will be forced out of Iran um, you know, on a large scale. And the concern really is that the, the, the church outside Iran will be able to help and will be able to, to cope with um, that kind of influx into countries like Turkey if it happens. Is the church ready for that? Is it galvanised? Is it prepared for an emergency situation? It doesn't seem to be. Um, I think the church is pretty good at responding when situations happen, but is is not very good at preparing beforehand for these kind of situations. And um, I mean, if you go back a few years to before the the Syrian civil war, you know, and and the Iraq crisis, how thousands and thousands of Christians have been forced out of their homes or whatever. If we'd known that before it happened, right? Maybe there were things that could have been done to prevent that or to help them. Mm. Um, we don't know, but so responding to that that crisis is one thing but actually if we have a window of opportunity now to try and put something in place that will help those people then it's worth doing and it's worth praying as well for them so we can pray but how do we help them how do we resource the church in turkey uh well i think we have i mean our partners work in turkey so they work with the churches there and with Christians who have come in the Iranian church. So um, it's really about providing them with the resourcing to be able to provide for families and people who have lost everything. Often the Iranians coming out of Turkey, 
you know, if they're converts, especially they've lost everything, their homes, their families, even, you know, uh, they have nothing. So, you know, so trying to support someone, say a family of four people who've got absolutely nothing, they need everything, you know, accommodation, food, clothing, education for the children, you know, so that will cost. Mm. And if you're talking about tens of thousands of people, then you're talking about a lot of money. Um, and, you know... And the danger is if the church isn't equipped in Turkey, it could just capsize. I mean, you can imagine it in your own home church. You know, say if you're a church of 500 people, say, and suddenly you get it, you get a, a, another thousand people come into your church. Well, we saw that in Lebanon, didn't we? The, there was vast numbers coming to Christ, which was amazing. But at the same time, the church couldn't quite cope. Exactly. The church is really struggling to to cope with the numbers of refugees in Lebanon and similarly it would be in, in Turkey. So, so, but the, the, the longer term view is, is good because it's likely that a new regime will actually be more tolerant of Christianity. Um, so in the short term it's going to be difficult for Christians, uh, but longer term actually if a regime comes in that is more um, accepting of, of Christianity then things could improve for the church in Iran. A positive result out of that could be a more open Iran, a more Exactly, free Iran. yes, yes, that's what they hope, yeah, that actually Iran can become an open society. You've given us a lot to think about and pray about um, as we go into 2020. Is there something in particular that you're lifting to the Lord? Nigeria. Um, the situation there is so dire and has been going on for so long. We've almost become immune to it and that is the, the 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 awful thing in a way that you know how many times you know do you go to church in the uk and we go through our service how many times do we pray for christians in nigeria you know and i don't think there are probably many churches that are praying for the church in nigeria well it's not often in the news is it for some reason even though you've described it as genocide i don't often see nigeria in in the secular press at all? No, I mean, it, it's maybe because it's in Africa, I don't know. Uh, but on the same day that the, the Charlie Hebdo massacre in Paris, there was a, a massacre in Nigeria in, uh, in a place called Baga. And um, you know, thousands and thousands of people were massacred. And yet there was no coverage of it at all. And, you know, but we can, we can blame the media here and say, well, they weren't covering it, so we didn't know about it. But actually, the the news is there, and but we as Christians have a responsibility to to pray for those people mm. and to support them, but at least to pray for them. You know, we should be praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters on Sunday mornings when we get together, you know, because we want them to pray for us if we were in the same situation. So I think, yeah, I think Nigeria is somewhere where... where we need to get serious in terms of how we respond to persecution because we don't know what's around the corner, but it doesn't look good. Mm. Um, that being said, we know that nothing can prevail against the Church of Jesus Christ. And I, I just remembered something that you shared with us in devotions this morning, which was 1 Corinthians 1.8, which says... We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, 
so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, and he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. So let's continue to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. That's right, because they're in a situation where all they can do is rely on God. It's tempting to feel depressed, frustrated, helpless and angry when you consider the extent of persecution Christians across the world will face this year. And maybe some of those emotions are right. But in the middle of this, we see a church that is alive and growing. This is the same church that you and I belong to. And because of that, we suffer with them in their pain, but we also rejoice with them in their perseverance. Let's make a renewed commitment this year to live out that spiritual connection as we pray, support and stand with our persecuted Christian family. Thank you so much for listening to Release International's Voice podcast. Please do subscribe through your favourite podcast app and stay connected to the voice of persecuted Christians. There are many other ways you can get involved. For more information on how you can pray and support persecuted believers across the world, please visit our website www.releaseinternational.org. There you can read the full Persecution Trends article, which profiles a further nine countries. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Remember those who are in prison as if you were in there together with them, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Do not abandon them.